Touchdown! This is your man, Ray Lewis. Hey everyone, I'm Scott Hansen from NFL Red Zone. I'm CNN's Coy Wire and former NFL player. Hi, I'm Nat Coombs. I'm Emma Jones. If you want to see the best in the NFL, check out Decipher Sport. Check out Decipher Sport. Check out Decipher Sport. If you don't do nothing else, check out Decipher Sport. The UK's home of American football. I'm Neil Reynolds, and this is the Decipher Handoff. Hello everybody, welcome to a very special episode of the Decipher Handoff podcast with me, Neil Reynolds. This week, an absolute legend, and uh, he is a two-time Super Bowl champion, a first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the greatest NFL players who ever lived, uh, the wonderful, the great Ray Lewis. Ray, let's start with growing up. Mm. Uh, high school through college, uh, was it always defense for you? Uh, I wish, I wish. No, it was, uh, a lot of it was, back in the day you can do, you kind of used to do whatever you wanted to do. <laughs> okay. We didn't have, um, we didn't have sometimes like a full roster. Right. So coach was like, play guard. <laughs> okay. You know, you go play guard, you know? And then, uh, and then I was like, nah, I like to run the ball. Mm. So, you know, I started to mess around with kickoff return, punt return, and then I started to play running back okay. a lot. Um, from Little League, actually, all the way up. And then, um, now once again, like defense, you know, go play in, go play linebacker, <laughs> go play running um, corner, whatever it was. Um, the The roles of where I was going to end up, that kind of was never defined until I went to college. Did you, and maybe it's only when you look back, yeah. did you have a desire to be the best even from a young age? Were you always kind of pushing? Were you always chasing? Maybe you don't re recognize that until you look back in retrospect now. Yeah. You, were? yeah I, you know what? Football was such a getaway um, from the everyday circumstances. I don't necessarily think it was about being the best football player back then. It was just about being a better person, like trying to find who are you and what pushes you and what drives you. And if somebody knocks you down, do you get back up or do you whine or do you cry? And so that was kind of the test, you know, way back in the day. Like, and it was the test like if, for a man, right, to, mm. to see was you on your way to being a strong man, being a tough young man. So I, I don't necessarily think it was about, oh, I'm gonna be the best football player ever right. when I first started, because back then you used to just love it. And just, I'm going to practice today. You know, I used to be excited. So I think it was more on just me being involved in it, yeah. At that, as you're going through high school, college, mm -hmm. did you like defenders around the NFL? Did you look at players who came before you? Or was that, again, more once you're in the league, you then have yeah. respect for those guys? Yeah, yeah, that came later. Yeah. Um, you know, back in the day, unlike now, right? We on my television only had three stations. <laughs> you know, two, ten, and thirteen is all yeah. you had, and uh, so you didn't you didn't have that you didn't have a variety of people to pick from or games to pick from, and things like that. So you were kind of locked in on whoever was in your area, and for me that was. The Bucks, Tampa okay. Bay Bucks, way back in the day, when they were really not good. No, so, you're being polite now. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but uh, I think 
like 1985, 86, I started to travel to people's houses after church. And um, they would always have the games on. Yeah. And I remember in 86, my grandfather introduced me for the first time to like Lawrence Taylor. He was like, I want you to watch this person. And I was like, wow, what's wrong? Is he mad? Or is he, that's just the way he wants to treat people. <laughs> and my granddad was like, that's the way to play football. I was like, wow, really? So he just played pissed off. And then he became one of my guys. And then one of my favorite guys of all time when I was young was Wilbur Marshall. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wilbur Marshall, yeah. I just I just thought it was just a complete dog back then. I was like, wow, like where does that mentality come from? And things like that. Then I fell in love with Ronnie Lott and Roger Craig. I can go on for that. Right. Yeah. But that's the, the ones you've pointed out there. Yeah. And actually, think about how destructive you were as a yeah. player. Yeah. And I know you've mentioned this phrase to me before, yeah. want to, want to be the first to the ball, want to hit. Yeah. I and mean, there's a lot to your position anyway, there's a lot to playing in the NFL, but how much of it was desire and intensity and ferocity? Yeah, once you, um, once I got to like high school, it became really simple, you know, like the goal of coaches challenging you and watching how other guys responded was the first key that I had something different. You know, coach would say, we got sprints after practice. Every guy would be like, man, we got to do sprints too, you know? And I'm like, yeah, let's do sprints, you know? <laughs> and then like, man, hush, man, why you always want to do sprints? Because I thought sprints was a mentality thing. Yeah. You know, I thought when you got to end the practice, coach wanted to see who were you now. And so, man, that when that started to happen, then I started to race people every day. It's like, let's race every day. And I used to lose a lot, a lot. But I would never quit. Right. Right. And so I think that started to really influence the way that I attacked practice, saw training, or just thought about football, period. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to be the one the coach said, that's the person you want to be like, right? And Grady Maddox, my first high school coach, was the first one my sophomore year. First game I started against Cluiston, he came back in and he says, I need 53 players like Ray Lewis. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? And I'm 16 years old at yeah. the time, so I'm like, man, this is amazing. Because Grady Maddox was a hard coach. Right. Like I had a lot of hard, hard coaches. Like you gotta, you had, you really have to be doing something to really impress them. And so that was the first, like really the first time that I was like, mm, coach is watching. Yeah. So then it started to become a thing. And when I was in high school, like I say, ain't nobody beat me to the ball, period. Ain't nobody beat me in sprints, period. You may win the first two because you're just faster than me, but the next eight to ten, you're not winning. Yeah. So you'll notice in my line of question, there were too yeah. many big games, too many achievements too to many. through all of them, right? That's, yeah, that's just too many. impossible. So I yeah. like what I like to yeah. get what made you tick. Yeah. And that's part of it, what you yeah. just said there. Also standards. Mm -hmm. So not just for yourself, right? But for your teammates. By the time you get to the NFL, yeah. 
what you demanded of them on the field, but also in the locker room. Dress smart, be yeah. respectful. There was a there was a Ray Lewis standard, wasn't there? Can yeah. You tell me what that was? Yeah. So, um, so my great uncle used to always tell me, I don't care how much money you have in your pocket, just make sure you look good and smell good, and somebody will notice you. Yeah. Right. Keep your pants pulled up. Keep your shirt tucked in. You know, and be the person that you want somebody to say. I like that young man yeah. right there. And so that started to become my standard very quickly, you know, and then in the locker room, not even knowing, right, that I was going to become the leader so quickly, Grady Maddox saw that. He saw that, and he was like, I want you to talk to the team. And I was like, Coach, you know I stutter. I'm not going to be able to get it out. And then, <laughs> and then he was. I had. I read. I had a really bad stuttering problem back in the day, and um, and he was like, "You'll get it out." And I started to realize something that that in my speeches I was more calm than when I was excited. Right. Right. And so I started to speak, and then this thing started to happen. Like every week, they was like, "No." Man, give us something. Give us something. You got to give us something to come That's out of this locker. That's incredible. You did that. So you did that at high school through college, yeah. but to have that thrust upon you as well in the NFL. So suddenly you're a young player in the NFL. Yeah, it wasn't pressure then, though. No. Yeah, by then you got it. Yeah, you, right? back then it's locked in. Yeah. You know, so by the time, because because when you go to the University of Miami, <clears throat> that's its own culture. It's like the NFL, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh my gosh, and to. Uh, and to resonate with those guys yeah. and to get those guys locked in is kind of, I would say to this day, it's kind of what kind of kick-started kick my kind of speaking career of talking in front of men. And then I think the thing that made me take control of it is um, we got ready to play. We got ready to practice. Robert Bass, guy was in front of me, got hurt. And we got ready to practice, and uh, the coach said, Ray, come up to the front and break the huddle. And I came up. As soon as I walked up, I'm looking at Warren Sapp dead in his eye. And I'm like, oh, boy. And he's just like, break the huddle. And I was like, Kings cover two, right? Almost asked Warren Sapp for permission. No, no, I was stuttering so bad. And uh, oh my gosh, he tells this story all the time. But he came to the front and grabbed me by my jersey, and he said, "Look at me." And I said, "What?" He was like, "If you gonna get in front of this huddle, you gonna call this huddle right." I was like, "All right." And then <laughs> we came back. Kings cover two, break, boom. Then I was like, "All right, ownership. You gotta own it." Right, it's your position now. And then, man, from there, it was just like, go. So I just took off. I how, took much, off. how much did you have to be a, a... So I talked about all the hustle. That's a part of it, yeah. right? Destruction, yeah. ferocity. Yeah. you got to be a student of the game, though, still, right? It's you've the got biggest thing. Work. Yeah? It's the biggest thing. Um, from high school, I always said that the reason why most of my opponents, the reason why most athletes never push the button it's because they're afraid to go the extra mile. 
they're afraid to become a student of the game because a student of the game takes time. Yeah. It's a lot of hours. So when you think about a coach's schedule, right, and the joke is in the locker room, even back in school, it's like, man, you know how much film coaches watch all day? And then I used to say, yeah, I watch the same amount. And he's like, you watch film like that? Yes. Yeah, I want to know everything. Mm -hmm. So it was like interesting because back in the day, you was almost like pick that. You know, yeah. He was like, oh, man, you be telling on people and stuff. You the coach's <laughs> little kid, whatever. I'm like, bro, I don't think it's that. I think it's really just trying to understand what does it mean to know the entire game. I want to know the whole game plan. So at UM, it was like <clears throat> when I got – I was a, one of the first freshmen to ever start at UM in a very long time. So athleticism was easy, right? Run around, do that. But knowing what you was doing – that was one of the crucial things at UM. If you had too many mental errors, you wasn't playing. Right. So that was like my first sign, like this is fun, but this is also a learning curve that you got to be a student of the game as well. So student of the game for me is kind of what really drove me to to want to always be the leader. Because I used to always say, I know every defense. I know what everybody on every defense does, period. D-line, D-tackle, defensive end, left corner, right corner, right safety. Uh, and then throughout my career, I was just like, I want to learn more. Yeah, I want to learn why offensive coordinators draw up certain plays. And then in 1997, I looked at Marvin Lewis one day and said, I want everything. <laughs> You know, and uh, Damani Dawson was the person that inspired that because I could not beat him uh, okay. for nothing. Huh. He was, that's when we was, the, yeah. the it wasn't a rivalry. It wasn't yeah. a rivalry then, right? Because right? yeah. they were who they were, yeah. but we were just two years in the league. Mm. <clears throat> so it wasn't really a rivalry. But for me, Damani was so skillful that I was, I got cursed out in meetings every week, every time we played them, because Marvin was like, if my middle linebacker is cutting half of my defense, I can't have a good defense. And so I was like, well, stop cursing me then and teach me how to beat him. I don't know how to freaking beat him. Right. Like I'm telling you, that guy is freaking good. Like he's climbing up on my angles so freaking quick. And then by the time he's up, then, but then that's, it, it all plays in, right? Because if you don't have the right D line, Right, to keep people off you, yeah. and they can climb the charts that quick. You're gonna have a long day yeah. as a linebacker. And man, he said, "You really want to know that? You really want to know how to beat the money, Dawson?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Meet me upstairs in the office every morning at six thirty. I was like, "What?" <laughs> I said, "You want me to come up to the office at six thirty every morning?" And then when I started going up there, it was the game plan. It was the defensive install. It was going through why we playing this defense, why we're planning on this call, why we run that defense on second down, why we go to this on third down, why we go to this personnel, why we understand the, the offensive line is in three personnel, three wide receivers, two backs, two tight ends, to, right? Boom, 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 boom. So every year I'm sitting there and I'm like, wow, what the freak? Like I was like, every guy should know this. Yeah. 
Like, why they don't... always talk about players having certain size cups where they can take the information. Right. Sounds like you had a bucket. Right. Everybody didn't. You were like, Everybody... pour it in the bucket. I was like, give me, the, give me everything. <laughs> My bucket is big. Yeah. But it was a, it was a fun thing for me to, to absorb that and then go back to practice, process, and share. Mm. Right? Because as the middle backer, you have to be able to get everybody on the same page to have a really great defense. Right? A lot of people think having great defense is just being a lot of great individual play, but it's really not. It's, it's communicating enough to where everybody's on the same page. I said I wouldn't pick out games, but I'm going to pick out two. Pick out a game. Pick out two. Well, let's pick, pick out, out two, two that you got a ring for. Let's the pick end out two. It's a lot. Close. Well, let's do the yeah. two Super Bowls then. All right. At either end of your career, really, in a way. you yeah. know, the Two different teams as well. Two uh, totally different teams. So the first one, I yeah. saw a quote from uh, 2000 Ravens. You end up the MVP. Mm. I mean, it was unfair what you did to the New York Giants. Let's be realistic. It was, mm. it was unfair. Um, Trent Dilfer said that team had substance over style. Um, what was it like the first one? And I guess that whole team was just gritty the whole way, wasn't it? A lot of people on that team was pissed off. Okay. A lot of people. And that team was built by the integrity of men to never let each other down. Right? And then that's why I think the game right, kind of takes a hit on that now. Right? Mm. Because that team... We would die for each other, literally. Mm. Like you had to, it's hard to find something that special. You know, I had a speaking yesterday in New York to this financial advisors and dentistry and all these different things. And it's almost impossible to get them to understand the belief right. in one another in that on that um, on that team in particular yeah because it, unless you're in there it's, so like when you say you die for each other yeah to me that's just a phrase you think it's a phrase to you it's life right i'm never letting rod wilson down never yeah i'm never letting tony saragusa down right rob burnett michael mcclare chris c mac Dwayne. It was different. Yeah. It was different. We was, and this momentum started to pick up to where coaches, Marvin really started to understand, I don't need to coach them. I just need to unleash them. <laughs> yeah. And then it was like, like. a pack of dogs. It was. It was a pack of lions, man. Yeah. We was, we was, we were, we was asking him, coach, you gotta let us go. Like, and man, when he got to a point to where he realized that that team, that team was more proudful, prideful because of ownership inside of each other right. than the wins and losses. Yeah. And that's why when offense or whoever was, was struggling at the time, we never wavered. We was like, it doesn't matter. You can't score. Yeah. So it's so <laughs> so you gotta dance with us one way or another. And I'm telling you that 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 raised me. That style of a team raised me. It taught me 
why I've always loved Reggie Whites. Right. Why yeah. I've always loved Bruce Smith's. Why I've always right. loved the Steel Curtain. Why I've always loved the Bears. It's because when you have that culture, shit, that culture takes you to heaven with a smile. What was it like when you uh, looked up and you saw that confetti coming down? Oh, the first stop time? it, man. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good, yeah? You know, I don't care how many times you win, nothing outdoes the first one. Yeah. It's, it's so unreal, so surreal. Um, and I think, once again, one of the people, and it was so Benny, but to, to respect Rod Woodson the way I did mm. before I was able to play with him and to watch the water bubble in his eyes after we won that chip. There's a lot of memories that I could tell you about, but that one right there will never leave my memory. So every time confetti drops, my head tingles. Still ah, ah, because remember, it's one thing about winning is one thing. Mm. How you win? It's a totally different perspective. All right, let's go to that then. Yeah. We'll fast forward to 2012. Yeah. So I'm not even going to start at the Super Bowl. Yeah. The summer of 2012, you came on a visit to the UK. Mm -hmm. And if you remember, I looked after you. We were of together course. doing all the different bits. Yeah. You said, we're going to schedule these things mm -hmm. to do this outside of my four workouts. Yeah. You were going into whatever that year was. And 17. You 17. You were what, 30? 30, 37. And, yeah. and you're working out four. And I was like... Right, he's working out four times a day. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you were on the bike, you were doing a lot of cycling. Mm -hmm. And then we see why it paid off, right? And yeah. that, that run, and also that run, everyone knew you were retiring. Mm. It was like a movie when you think about it, wasn't mm -hmm. it? It is a movie. Just this time, there's no action. There's no cut. There's no break, right? Like, we were that team building up in 09, 10, mm -hmm. 11. We were that team. We had the right mix, right, of wisdom, mm -hmm. talent, grit, heart, commitment. It was all there. And we knew that. We knew that. Um, so I think what makes that one I'm going to take a personal page out. What made that one so special is because you watch movies, right? Mm -hmm. You watch the end of movies like, oh, my gosh, that's such a great ending. You know, he comes back. And he doesn't whatever. happen in the NFL. Right. It just right, doesn't. It's right, not supposed right, to happen right, in the NFL. It really does. Right. So, like, when I, uh, when I tore my tricep against Dallas, yeah. I was like. People thought you were done. People thought a lot of things for a very long time. <laughs> but that was the thing, right? The thing for me was I wanted to do something that will make me make sure I'm remembered forever, you see? And when I got my tricep popped, I was like, Lord, you're going to test me like this? <laughs> like, this is a tough test. And to go through what I went through, 
wow to even be sitting here, right? Because I knew that I was not going to come back 100%. So I knew most of that run was on faith, right? It was on me trusting God that although my pain was unbearable at times, the mission was bigger yeah. than my pain. So when I saw that look in the guy's eyes, because 2011, remember, we, we lost the AFC Championship in yeah. New England yeah, yeah, yeah. after punching them in the mouth, right? So we're like, but then I said in that locker room that day, we will be back here and we will finish this. Now, I didn't know we, have, we would have to finish it up under the circumstances. <laughs> but man, <laughs> but it's a lot, man. <laughs> but that Super Bowl run, mm. that run, if you wanted to wrap up my career in, full game, in four games, that was probably one of the greatest runs I've yeah. ever been on in life. Because of that team, started to get to get a sense of what we had when we was in 2000. Then it, it turned into this thing, like, it doesn't matter. Good play, bad play, miss field goal, miss, miss tackle. Next play, next play. You, you have to beat us, right? And then I, I remember telling uh, Steve, God don't make no mistakes, you see? And when I came back and told John, I said, look, I called Ozzy and I said, don't put me on IR. I think there's one more run I got. And then when I went in there with the guys and told the guys this, that day, I reflect on that day more than I reflect on my career. Because I saw how genuine men's hearts were to watch a general call his last dance. And Jesus. Yeah, I, I just thought not only God was on, I don't, God don't choose sides in football, right? But he has favorites of people that he have a relationship with. And God showed me something. And I wanted to share with them that the road does not stop in Indy. It does not start with Indy. It does not start with Peyton in Denver. It don't start with Tom and it don't start with Cap. It ends in New Orleans with me hosting the Lombardi Trophy. That's what I seen. Yeah. I, from listening to you there and from what I saw at the time, yeah. you could have asked those 52 other men on that to stand on their heads to for do five days anything. straight and they'd have done it. Right? Is to that do, how it was? To yeah. do anything. Because that moment, I've never, you know, being in that room and announcing that that day and saying, this is it, guys. This is my last time. And, man, one of my favorite coaches all the time, Clarence Brooks, CB. I remember looking at CB and CB. I ain't never saw CB cry. And I was like, oh. Like, what did I do? <laughs> you know, I'm like, what did I do? Like, man. But it was the love. Yeah. It was the love, the man. That's more than the wins and losses. Right. Yeah, like, it was, it was this thing. And I was like, wow. Like, and then, man, I got into, right, Indy. 
last game in Baltimore and watching all them fans never leaving the stadium. And I was like, I, I told PR, I got Chad, I said, I got to take this walk. I got to take this yeah. jog, bro. Yeah. Like, you don't leave this, right? The greatest of greats never got this, right? right? They went to other teams. They yeah, did yeah, this. Yeah. They did that. I danced in my same city, and I owe it to them, right? So then going to Peyton and having the respect that Peyton came after the game, told me what that run was more about. That run was about legacy. Yeah. You know, for him to sit there with his son and the conversation we had, and for us to go back to New England and finish that, and nobody the entire time, because as a general, I can't show that. Nobody knows. My, my right, it's numb. My body's numb. Wow. I'm just figuring out a way to keep going. I can't tell every time I fall on the ground that you can't repair. You can't repair that like that. Yeah. When so. the when the so it ends like a movie. Like it a ends movie under the, under the confetti. Yeah. How did you do in the last the, the years after that when the cheering stopped and the NFL Sundays yeah. rolled on? I know you went into the TV stuff, which probably helped, but yeah, when I, still yeah. does, it's still not the same, is it, as being out there with you guys on Sundays? Yeah. Look, man, I, I have a totally different look, outlook on the game when I stop playing. And that is, I thank God every day for bringing me through the career I had. Because 99% don't make it out. Not that route. Right. That's tough. So when people ask me all the time, do I miss the game? Absolutely not. Man. I sacrifice the game for my family. I sacrifice everything for the game. Because I wanted to have another warrior one day look at me and say, that's the person you want to be like. So for me, I don't, from day one that I retired to day now, I'm more excited to be on this side okay. yep. than I am to miss what I gave everything to already. Yeah, I think you only miss the game if you cheated it. You definitely didn't do that. I definitely, <laughs> definitely didn't cheat. Yeah. Last one, Ray. Yeah. Um, if you were going to define your legacy, mm -hmm. and now, if I was going to talk about the best defenders in NFL history, they wouldn't be on one hand. I wouldn't need all the fingers to include you in that list. But I get the impression from the years I've known you and talking to you, it's about more than that but when you combine the football and your life's work how do you define how do you define your legacy what do you want people to say about Ray he Lewis? made people better there's no greater legacy God says the two greatest commands is to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as thyself the greatest two commands and when you think about a leader, me, the thing that resonates with my soul the most is when someone says, you changed my life. You changed my perspective.
you gave me hope. This kid I talked to yesterday, I won't give you his last name, but his first name is Chase. <clears throat> He's 13 years old. And his father, two months ago, committed suicide. And I have about 16 and 17 of these kids that I talk to on a weekly basis. And Chase said, I had my first football game. He said, my daddy would have been proud of me. And I said, and I told him this the first time we met, I said, I can never replace a father, but I can always be a daddy. And I am proud of you. And he said, you're really proud of me. And I said, yes. In that moment, I knew that I was fulfilling my purpose on earth. To give people like Chase, to give people like Pedro, another son of mine who doesn't have parents. Life is hard. And for a man in particular, life is very difficult. Mm. So if you ask me to sum up my legacy and how I want to be remembered, he was for the people. He is the people, you know? So football may come and go, but there'll be a lot of great football players. But when I'm done, whenever the Lord brings me home, I tell people all the time, don't cry. Because there's enough people experience who I really was. Yeah. Privilege, right? Absolutely. Always, always a privilege. Appreciate you, man.